You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off this week. The long lineups at Vancouver International Airport are a bit better today after Sunday's debacle of enormous lineups and delays. As Aaron MacArthur reports, it's yet another blow to the industry, which has struggled with a very turbulent takeoff of post-restriction travel. I wasn't expecting as soon as you walk in you to see the lineup. So. The lineup wow. stretched yeah. from security to the check-in kiosk. Despite the looks, the wait time Monday morning, no more than 30 minutes. A far different situation Sunday. Hours, long waits, hundreds of flights delayed. People simply missed their departures entirely. The issue on the weekend were the dozens of security screeners that didn't show up. According to YVR, 87 of 210 contracted employees didn't make it to work. Monday, the absentee rate was still higher than normal, but with only 40 no-shows, lines moved more quickly. We've asked for better notification. You know, finding out the morning of that there's not enough staff doesn't help anybody. The union representing the workers at YVR declined comment, but did say it was investigating the large number of absences. Neither the Canadian Airline Transportation Safety Authority nor the contractor Allied Universal responded to questions. The airline industry worldwide seems like a house of cards. Any one part failing brings the whole system crashing down. Aviation experts put the blame on airlines. The airlines basically um, got a little greedy and put a lot of traffic out there. And then when people showed up, we didn't have the resources. The Council of Canadian Airports say progress has been made on improving the system but in a statement said the government needs to take a proactive role in improving passenger experience, saying the government needs to abandon COVID-related air travel restrictions, implementing a domestic trusted traveler program similar to the pre-check system in the U.S., and investing in a modern digital border with effective screening procedures. Passengers did everything right yesterday, and it was the screening authority that wasn't ready to process them. In May, security screeners held a rally demanding better pay and working conditions at YVR. Three months later, it appears things have not improved. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Now, from air to sea, cruise ship passengers were stranded in Vancouver overnight after job action got in the way of their sailing. The ship was tied to a barge that tugboat operators refused to tow, the delay cutting into a cruise that many had been waiting for. Grace Key reports. It's a cruise of a lifetime for some of these passengers. The only problem is they're stuck at Canada Place. They should have left for Alaska at 5 p.m. Sunday. But by Monday morning, they're still docked. Well, thank God for alcohol, but uh, no, we're bummed. I mean, I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. And my 60th birthday, my boyfriend's birthday tomorrow, and we thought we were going to be celebrating in Alaska. It's my, my birthday, August 31st. We're going to have a special dinner here, and then on the first, the plan was to be in Juneau, you know, catching salmon, big, big, giant <laughs> salmon. A fuel barge has been sitting next to the Celebrity Eclipse since Sunday. A labor dispute between C-SPAN and its unionized tugboat operators led to job action. So C-SPAN hired contract workers who brought the barge in, 
but not out, deciding to stand in solidarity with the other union. The Canadian Marine Services Guild, who represents operators on 30 C-SPAN tugs, wouldn't comment. But a statement from C-SPAN reads in part, with the assistance of the federal mediators, we have been unsuccessful in reaching an agreement with CMSG. It is unfortunate that the job action by CMSG workers has caused other union workers to refuse to work that has resulted in delays to vessels and in some case passengers. This labor disruption is just one more uh, bump in the road or uh, a bit of the choppy water that we've encountered in the season so far. The good news is that there are actually more ships calling on Vancouver this year than there were in 2019 before the pandemic, but the number of passengers is still down. On Saturday, another cruise ship was dry docked in North Vancouver and delayed in picking up passengers also because of the labour dispute. Oh, that's Mitch! His birthday's tomorrow. What's your birthday wish? Get out of here. Get out of here and go to Alaska. Mitch got his wish. By noon, the contract tug pulled the barge away with the eclipse setting sail about 20 hours behind schedule. Grace Key, Global News. And we are hearing tonight that Disney Wonder was supposed to leave at 5 p.m., but fuel bunkering has been delayed. No official word on whether that's related to the job action. The Wonder will hopefully be leaving later this evening. Homicide investigators are identifying the man shot and killed outside a South Surrey home over the weekend. IHIT says 37-year-old Troy Michael Regnier was gunned down just before 11 Saturday night at 19th Avenue near 166th Street. RCMP say three suspects known to Regnier were arrested on scene, but no one has been charged. Police believe this is an isolated incident and does not have any ties to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. Investigators are asking anyone who who knew the victim or has more information about the shooting to contact them. Vancouver police say they have identified the suspects in a violent, unprovoked assault, which may have been motivated by hate. The attack happened just after midnight, July 31st, outside a convenience store near Commercial and 10th Avenue. After a brief verbal confrontation in the store, a 42-year-old man who'd been celebrating Pride Week was knocked to the ground and repeatedly punched and kicked by three men. BPD says a family member of one of the suspects contacted investigators and all of the suspects have since been identified. No arrests have been made, though. Investigators are still asking witnesses to come forward. A longtime North Vancouver business owner is speaking out tonight about a racial attack, part of which he captured on video. And it's not the first time he's been targeted. Krista Dow has more on the troubling encounter and the witness who's backing him up. This is my country. I'm not, I don't have a country yeah, to go back This is my country to. too. A tense and heated exchange captured on video. This, the toned down aftermath of what Edward Hoare says was a racially charged encounter between him and the woman. She told me, get out to my country. This is my country. You, you back to your country. And then she spelled two times on my body. Her has owned Nowu Sushi in North Vancouver for the past 19 years. He says he started filming after the woman hurled racial slurs at him and then spat on him. His request that she stop letting her dog pee on his property. She didn't control her door. Many times it's uh, on pee on my front door. That's why uh, I explained to my situation, but it's uh, uh, she's answer is very offensive action. She crossed the line. 
Get a life. And I saw her spit on him. He was just asking her, don't have your dog pee on my door. And then she takes it to that level and turns it on him, and it becomes this racial, you know, it was horrendous. Her says Friday's alleged assault is the second time the woman spat on him and says it's been traumatizing for his wife. She's mental is not as strong. That always is a heart is trembling, trembling. So I don't want to see her. Leaders in the Asian community speaking out against the alleged incident and say more education is needed. We should not tolerate this type of stereotypical and racial kind of undertone kind of action. They do not need to justify that they are Canadian. They are here. They are one of us. I live in Canada about 22 years, 24 years now. It's a, my daughter is a, now, is a, she served to the Canadian military officer. Yes, it's a very, very sad. Right now, 911, call the police. Her did end up filing a police report. North Vancouver RCMP say they are investigating. Krista Dow, Global News. A chilling story is emerging in Richmond tonight. A woman out for a dog walk stumbles upon a frightening scene. How she and her daughter helped save a teenager from a violent swarming. Next on the News Hour. What the f you doing in Alberta? Condemnation of this ambush of Canada's deputy prime minister coming up later on the News Hour. Plus, a fiery crash shuts down part of the Coquihalla. How it happened, still to come. Right now, though, a Richmond mother is sharing a frightening story of youth violence. She says she, her daughter, and others foiled a swarming attack on a young girl, with the attackers coming at her and them, even as she was on the phone to 911. Romina Dea reports. The Richmond mother still terrified. She said she had to step in to help the 14-year-old victim after she heard screaming. And as I look over, I see this young girl running for her life, like across the parking lot. And you could see there's about 10 to 15 other boys and girls behind her, and they're chasing her and calling her just the most horrific names. The Good Samaritan, her 13-year-old daughter, and another mom with two kids made a wall around the victim to protect her. We are concealing the mother's identity because she's worried for her family's safety. She said the swarming happened around 9 o'clock at night on August 18th at Garden City Park in Richmond. Despite being on the phone with 911, she said the teens would not back down. She said one of the attackers spit in her face and another shot her dog with a pellet gun. Really? Like, was any, even whatever could be said couldn't be that heinous that would warrant 10 to 15 kids to jump a girl who's 14, like going into grade 9. It's unclear if charges are being considered. The mother did provide us with a police file number. We have reached out to Richmond RCMP. We're still waiting for a response. Romina Dea, Global News. Police are looking for a pair of men involved in an armed robbery in Nanaimo early Saturday. RCMP releasing this security camera image of the two men suspected of robbing the 7-Eleven on Terminal Avenue at Knife Point. One suspect is a white man with a mustache and a thin build, wearing a dark hat, blue hoodie and shorts. The other man was wearing a black mask, a plaid jacket with a black hoodie underneath a ball cap. Anyone with information is asked to call Nanaimo RCMP. Coming up, liquor stores running dry. I just think it's a little crazy. It's outrageous. I'm going to have to switch back to beer. 
panic buying as BCGEU job action continues. Plus, predictions of an unprecedented drop in housing prices on the way. Traffic has eased off on most of the major routes, including this one, Highway 1 through Burnaby. Just some minor congestion headed east at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trishy Wilson in the Global Traffic Center. Canadian home prices could see an unprecedented drop as early as next year. That's according to a new report. Numbers from TD Bank suggest by the first quarter of 2023, the average price of a home could fall 20 to 25 percent from the peak seen earlier this year. The report also estimates home sales will drop by 35 percent. Experts say prices in B.C. have been steadily decreasing this year, especially in the suburbs, which saw a spike in demand early in the pandemic. We're seeing that maybe people who thought they could work remotely can't uh, work remotely as much as they perhaps uh, had, had thought. So some of that demand for, for markets outside of major metro areas just isn't there the same way it was in the pandemic. The report says a 25% reduction would only partially make up for the 46% gain in average prices over the course of the pandemic. Two weeks into job action by BC General Employees Union workers and shelves are looking a bit bare at some liquor stores in the Okanagan. As Global's Megan Turcotta reports, the labour dispute is leading to some liquor store staff having their hours cut and customers struggling to find some of their preferred products. At this Vernon liquor store, some items are simply out of stock as the job action at provincial liquor distribution centers hits the two-week mark. Immediately when it happened, we have, um, because we're a high turnover store, we had about three weeks worth of liquor and we sold through that in four days. So people panicked and shopped really quick. Um, since then, of course, we're just not getting any orders and as you can see, our shelves are bare. The product shortage has meant the store has had to cut staff hours. Nobody in the liquor store industry is getting rich. And most of us live paycheck to paycheck, right? So it's it's going to be felt. The shortages are hitting some businesses harder than others. Vernon's Arc Liquor also has some empty shelves, but says so far the panic buying is making up for any losses in business. We'll be able to make do. I mean, at this time going into fall, um, where traditionally sales will drop anyways, so we're not panicking yet. Industry group the Alliance of Beverage Licensees surveyed the liquor, cannabis and hospitality industries last week about the strike's impact and found 80% of the 400 companies who responded are worried about the viability of their businesses. More than half have lost at least $5,000 in profits and one in five have reduced staff hours. I was surprised how frightened people are. Uh, and, and how deep it has spread. And it, it just goes to show that this strike is having serious impacts on our industry. And, and that's why since it started, we've been begging them to, to stop the strike or find a different way of protesting. The union has previously defended the job action, saying it helped bring the parties back to the bargaining table. For customers, it's meant trouble finding some products, particularly coolers and imported products. Matt Tryon says he went to four different liquor stores looking for Alberta premium vodka and found nothing. I just think it's a little crazy. It's outrageous. I'm going to have to switch back to beer. 
Liquor stores say what is still available are BC products, so consumers should consider buying local as job action continues. Megan Turcato, Global News, Vernon. Still to come, it is not just part of the job. No one deserves to be treated that way, whether it's in public life or in any other workplace. Reaction from fellow politicians to the verbal attack on the deputy PM. Plus, an exodus at Victoria City Hall. With so many councillors not running for re-election, how it might not be politics as usual after the October vote. Global BC wants to see you at the PE Fair. Catch all the fun at this end of summer tradition from attractions and entertainment to food and rides and the stories that make it all come alive. The PE Fair, in partnership with Global BC. Traffic is steady in both directions at the Arthur Lang Bridge tonight, although it is slow in both directions at the north end due to a crash at 70th Avenue with emergency crews on scene. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A fatal crash on the Coquihalla has closed the southbound lanes between Hope and Merritt. Police say it appears a semi broke down on the highway and was then struck by a second semi. It happened about four kilometers south of Merritt just after six this morning. Both of the trucks then caught fire. The driver of the second semi died while his co-driver is at Royal Inland Hospital with undisclosed injuries. The driver of the broken down truck is also in hospital in serious condition. Police are detouring traffic through Highway 5A to Highway 3. Northbound traffic on the Coquihalla is also down to one lane. Police are asking anyone with dash cam video to contact them. The agricultural community is in shock tonight and offering condolences after a fatal crash that killed three people and a truck full of cattle on Sunday morning. As Jasmine King reports, the cows were destined for a local competition. Sunday morning around 6.45 a.m., two semi-trucks collided on Highway 1, 35 kilometers east of Golden. The crash killed the two drivers and one passenger. One of the trucks was making its way back from the Western Canadian Classic competition in Brandon, Manitoba. It was carrying 4-H cattle that belonged to Team BC and Team Alberta. 18 of the animals in the crash were on their way to the Interior Provincial Exhibition in Armstrong for this week's festivities. For the families of the, the people that lost their family members, our hearts really go out to them. And just for all the kids that lost their livestock and all their stuff, it's, uh, it's, it's a very tragic incident that, uh, you know, it's horrible that it happened. In a statement to Global News, 4HBC say their thoughts go out to those involved in the tragic incident. The 4HBC community is devastated by the loss of these individuals and their dairy calves. Our condolences go out to the 4H members of the Shuswap Okanagan and Fraser Valley. 4-H leaders, parents and staff are working to provide support for these youth during this very difficult time. The IPE is set to host many 4-H clubs from around the province this week and a lot of the local kids will now be without their prized animals. Everybody in the Okanagan here, all the, there's a lot of families. The kids are from Spall Machine, Enderby and our local surrounding areas. So. Um, our hearts just really go out to them and their families right now. Fraser hopes that the kids can enjoy the IPE but knows how difficult that may be. This is a big place for them to come to and, and a big part of it so 
we just hope the best for them. We'll just be here to support them however we can. And I know the IPE uh, st management is has been very supportive and trying to help support the kids as best as they can. The IPE is working to accommodate those who lost their animals in the crash. Jasmine King, Global News. RCMP are cracking down on drivers who pose a risk to workers at construction zones on the Lower Mainland. The Our Cone Zone event saw Mounties issuing tickets to motorists violating speed limits at this work site in Maple Ridge. The event, launched by Road Safety at Work, aims to bring awareness to the risks roadside workers face every day. The organization says in the last 10 years, 20 workers have been killed and more than 200 others have been seriously injured by drivers speeding past a work zone. In spite of all our efforts, the Cone Zone campaign, working with the Work Zone Safety Alliance, still people are not paying attention and slowing down the way that they should be when they're coming to, through a construction zone. You need to pay attention, you need to obey traffic safety personnel, you need to obey the signage, and you need to lower your speed. Cone Zones will be in place this fall throughout the Lower Mainland at many sites, including pipeline projects and construction sites. While municipal elections are less than two months away and one of B.C.'s more controversial city councils is poised for a major shakeup. In Victoria, Mayor Lisa Helps and four councillors have announced they are not seeking re-election. As Kylie Stanton reports, experts say whoever takes over will have their work cut out for them. In favor. For the past four years, they've cast their vote and had their say. Okay, so that carries. But now the majority of Victoria's mayor and council have had enough. It's unusual, certainly. I think it's been a tempestuous four years. Mayor Lisa Helps is not running for another term, opening the door for councillors Marianne Alto and Stephen Andrew now vying for that position. That leaves their two council seats open along with four others. Councillor Dubot, Thornton Joe, Young and Loveday have all announced they will not be seeking re-election. Only Ben Isaac and Sarah Potts have yet to declare their intentions. But given the current political climate, experts say they aren't surprised by the exodus. Politics has become very toxic. Christia, yes. what the f are you doing in Alberta? As we saw this past weekend with the Deputy Prime Minister, Politicians are now getting confronted in public. Get the f out of this province! And this is happening to politicians at all levels and in all parts of the country. And so it's a wonder to me that anybody chooses to run. Victoria's mayor and council are no exception. During their term, they seem to spark controversy at every turn. From the decision to take down the statue of Sir John A. Macdonald outside City Hall to suggesting the military foot the bill for the annual Remembrance Day ceremony. DND's budget is about $20 billion. The 2022 election now is shaping up to be something of a referendum on what direction the city will take. This is an opportunity again for individuals to take a look at the candidates and what they represent. And is that in the best interest of you, your family, your business, your neighbourhood? So make sure you're voting for the right people. At this point, it's not clear how many candidates plan on running. But one thing is for sure, whoever happens to be successful will no have their work cut out for them. I hope that we haven't led people to believe that this is simple and we can just go in and correct the stuff we're angry with. No, it's going to take some work. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. 
And more now on that disturbing ambush of Christia Freeland in Alberta on Friday. Politicians from all levels of government are speaking out and questions are now being raised about safety for elected officials and their families. Global's Kyle Benning has more. Christia. Politicians of all stripes have spoken in defense of the Deputy Prime Minister following this verbal assault during a stop in Grand Prairie, Alberta. Marco Mendicino says his stomach turns when he watches the video. She's tough as nails, but that hardly makes it right. Christa Freeland's cabinet colleagues speaking about the incident that happened Friday as she made her way to an elevator at Grand Prairie City Hall. You're a traitor! A man approaches her and her staff, trying to intimidate them by telling her to stay out of the province while using profanities. Karina Gould says she has needed an RCMP detail in the past after receiving threats. I'm grateful for the fact that um, that, that protection is available to us as cabinet ministers, but I'm sad that it's something that... Um, that we need. Three of the five Tory members running for party leadership have condemned the verbal assault, including Pierre Polyev. He says he's had to hire private security to protect his family after receiving threats. This is all too common uh, and all too um, long-standing. We have to put an end to it and demand that everybody uh, treat other Canadians uh, with respect uh, when we debate political ideas. Alberta's outgoing premier and Calgary's mayor called out the man's actions. Grand Prairie's mayor released a video message. I implore all Canadians to raise the level of political discourse in this country. A new survey from Polara Strategic Insights shows 16% of people are very angry or very annoyed at the federal government. How that rage comes out could have an impact on the way politicians reach out to voters who criticize them. Decisions about what kinds of public events to attend, uh, the need for security, those kinds of decisions are going to have to be uh, looked at again. And that's something which could change the way our democracy functions. Kyle Benning, Global News. To track someone down and hurl abuse at them, particularly when uh, you're a diminutive woman and a large man, that's just not on. I, I'm 230 pounds, I'm six foot two. Not a lot of people are going to come and yell at me like that. But it's just not acceptable. And I, I've reached out and spoken with uh, Minister Freeland. Uh, she doesn't need any help from me. She doesn't need any help from anybody. But oh I don't God, think Canadians are going to accept that type of behaviour for too long. And BC Premier John Horgan there adding his voice to the growing chorus, condemning the verbal attack on Christopher Freeland. It is being reported the man who accosted Freeland, identified as Elliot McDavid, says he's proud of what he did. Well, the federal government is earmarking new spending to develop sports programs for Indigenous communities. Parliamentary Secretary Adam Vancouverton announcing $2.5 million in funding to create and offer sports activities for Indigenous girls, women and 2SLGBTQ I plus people. The money will be allocated between 10 provincial and territorial support bodies. To all the young people that are going to benefit from this program here in BC, we know, and as the minister here from Children and Family Development, knows it's the resiliency theory. resiliency theory. It takes one person to believe in you, and if it's that coach, if it's that person who's going to encourage young people to cross the finish line, they're also going to graduate from school. They're going to have better social determinants of health. They're going to have better outcomes in their community as leaders. So this funding uh, might sound like just 2.5 million. It's a game changer. 
Well, as the new school year approaches, the province says it's helping make back to school more affordable for families struggling with inflation. The Education Ministry announcing $60 million for school districts across B.C. The one-time funding will go toward expanding meal programs and ensuring kids have all the necessary school supplies. It will also help cover costs for activities and field trips. School districts will work with parent advisory councils along with local First Nations to determine how best to use the money. We will certainly be looking for and, and, and working with school districts to understand how uh, this funding is being utilized and how it is impacting parents and families because that's our primary, primary objective here. Uh, and there will be reporting on this fund as there, as there is on any sort of special fund uh, at, the, at the year end. The funding is part of a number of measures the Ministry of Finance plans to roll out next week amid high global inflation. Just ahead, failure to launch. Launch director Charlie Blackwell-Thompson has called a scrub. Why NASA's moonshot is on hold for now. Plus. How many people know the recipe here? Me, Sonia. Your last chance to get a taste of Rosa's recipes. The woman behind the beloved restaurant shares her secret weapon later. consumers having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies. Help is here. Andrewa investigates consumer matters on Global News. So I was just away, Yvonne, <laughs> and uh, while I was away, I was checking, you know, on things back here at home. I was in Hawaii where it was very hot, but it sounded like it might have even been hotter here some days. Kind of the same. So yeah. you didn't need to go away yet. No. You could have sort of maybe waited until mm -hmm. things turned, but that's okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, so far, um, if you're missing Hawaii, the heat is on once again. We're actually tracking a heat wave in the coming days. We've got heat warnings that are in effect and a different weather story along the northern half of the province. We're tracking a significant amount of rain. First off, we're sitting at 23 degrees. We've got a westerly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. We are going to see those temperatures rise once again currently with the humidex especially areas away from the water we're feeling into the low 30s even areas inland across the island with Pearl Burney feeling like 32. We've got a plume of moisture and this weather maker is targeting the north coast a significant amount of rain continuing to fall will continue to track it in towards tomorrow and we are going to see upwards or anywhere between 70 and up to 100 millimeters that will be coastal areas inland between 30 and 50 and areas near Kitimat could see anywhere between 40 and up to 75 millimeters continuing in towards tomorrow and then tapering off late in the day. Heat warnings that are in effect along the south coast, the Sunshine Coast, areas along the island inland, eastern regions, uh, anywhere up to 30 degrees for daytime hose, highs, rather, but not much of a reprieve with that overnight low down to 16 degrees. Fraser Canyon, Lytton included within that, continuing to see the heat leading into Friday with those highs up to 35 and lows just 18. Also a smoky skies bulletin has been issued with the potential for the nickel and similcamine to be impacted by local smoke over the next 24 and 48 hours. So a heads up, heat is on. We'll be tracking that, especially for the interior, continuing to see it for Thursday, Friday. Most areas across Metro Vancouver, the hottest day out of the bunch being tomorrow with the humidex away for the water feeling like 37. Hot, uh, hot rather for the central half of the province with those dry conditions. Much of the southern half will see the heat peaking up as we get in towards our Thursday, Friday, and then along the south coast. Tomorrow, away from the water, that's where we'll feel that humidex closer to 37 degrees. 
Wednesday still a hot one towards the end of the week will hang on to dry conditions. No significant moisture in the forecast just yet. Tonight's weather window, a beautiful shot of the sunrise this morning in Vernon captured by Howard. So lovely. All right, thanks Yvonne. It's a no go for launch for NASA's new moon rocket, which was scheduled to blast off this morning. Fuel leaks and engine issues forced the space agency to scrub the countdown. About the time the launch window opened, NASA called off the first liftoff attempt. This is Artemis Launch Control with an update. Launch Director Charlie Blackwell Thompson has called a scrub. It didn't come as a complete surprise. There were repeated stops and starts of fueling overnight. Leak detection equipment went off and uh, stopped the fill of liquid hydrogen during fast fill. Crews were able to mostly fill the tanks when they discovered an engine bleed that couldn't be remedied. Fuel leaks were also a problem during a practice run back in the spring. NASA communication officer Daryl Nail discussed it with Administrator Bill Nelson. This is a very complicated machine, a very complicated system, and all those things have to work. And you don't want to light the candle until it's ready to go. The earliest opportunity to try again would be this Friday afternoon, but that all depends on whether engineers can fix the engine bleed. Monday scrub was a disappointment for thousands of people who flocked to the Space Coast hoping to witness the launch of NASA's most powerful rocket. And there's a lot riding on this test drive for NASA's return to the moon. Astronaut Christina Cook is part of the Artemis team. We're going back to stay this time for innovation, for inspiration, and of course for that interplanetary aspect of our next step onto Mars. NASA hopes to land people on the moon's south pole as early as 2025. Skyler Henry, CBS News at the Kennedy Space Center. It does feel like you need more than a candle to launch a rocket into space, but... But that's what they say. Light the candle. That's the saying. Yeah, which is <laughs> start the rocket. Well, not this time. Not this time. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? We didn't see you around here recently. Were you away? I was away. Did thank you, you for noticing. Time? I did, thank you. Okay. I thought I about you guys. I kept your chair warm. I actually sat in your chair. It was, it was nice. Did nice you? Chair. That's why I had to fiddle with it. You changed my settings. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Okay, uh, there's a lot of tennis to talk about because the U.S. Open started today and it included Serena Williams playing a first-round match and I can tell you that she will get to play another match at the U.S. Open. All of that is coming up. And the crowd was electric. All right, thank you, Squire. And later, the Last Supper. A beloved Italian eatery prepares to close permanently. Serena's last dance, like last the Chicago dance. Bulls uh, yeah, documentary, like it's the last dance, yeah. But her dance continues. That's good. Okay, so she'll play again on Wednesday. We'll show you what happened to her in just a moment, but let's concentrate on our people first. The U.S. Open Tennis Tournament did start today in New York. Good day for the Canadians so far. Vancouver's Rebecca Marino won her first-round match over Magdalena Fretch of Poland in straight set 6-2-6-3. Another Canadian who won this against Serena back in 2019 was a first-round victor as well. I'm talking about her, Bianca Andrescu, taking on Harmony Tan of France. First set, Andrescu, nice. She would win the first set rather easily, 6-love. 
Looked like she was going to roll, but then she stumbled in the second set and lost 6-3. But her mojo returned in the third set, and she would win it 6-1 to move on to round number two. Coming to the net, that's easy. And then the finishing move as she wins it in three sets and moves on to the second round. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, now she has. Felix Auger-Aliassime is sixth on the men's side, taking on Alexander Richard of uh, Switzerland. Felix got off to a good start here, won the first two sets, 6-3, 6-4. Lost a third set, but got it back together in the fourth. And this is the fourth set you're watching right now. That's an ace. And he would finish it off the exact same way, turning up an ace and moving on to round number two. Now, the greatest of all time. Serena. It's a star-studded, packed crowd. Danka Kovinic of Montenegro was the supporting player here. Serena definitely the star of the stage. She won the first set 6-3. Goes up 5-3 here in the second set. She played well tonight. And this is match point. And with this, she will have another big crowd to play to on Wednesday night in Flushing Meadows. Those who uh, run the Western Hockey League know that most of the players in the league will not have careers in the NHL. What they want to do, though, is prepare those who are not going to the big show as well as the ones who are going to the NHL. They're trying to prepare them not just how to be better hockey players, but to be better people as well. Western Hockey League Commissioner, Mr. Ron Robinson. When Ron Robinson hands out the Western Hockey League Championship trophy every season, he does so knowing that his league has done its best to prepare these young men for the journey ahead, be it hockey, school, or whatever vocation chosen by the players who first join this league as teenage boys and leave it as young men. Well, it is about development of the total person. It's not just about creating hockey players to play at the next level. It's about making sure they're not only educated, but obviously surrounded by the right environment, a positive environment. And really what it's about is to produce individuals who have gone through a very significant lessons in their lives as they play junior hockey, but the opportunity, of course, to go on and be successful in life is extremely important and probably the most important function that we have to make sure that they're set on a proper course for uh, uh, lots of success in their futures. In the late 90s, well before these players were born, the Western Hockey League first introduced its mandatory respect education seminars for players, coaches and team officials. Over the years, it's grown to include the Respect in Hockey program designed to educate players on consent, healthy relationships, bullying, hazing, harassment, racism and abuse all important issues that have recently come to the forefront in the hockey world. You know, when we were young, um, we knew nothing about these issues. I'd never heard of sexual abuse in my life until it happened to me. Sheldon Kennedy won the Memorial Cup, a World Juniors gold medal, and skated in the National Hockey League for eight seasons. But he's best known for his courageous and invaluable work advocating for those who've been sexually abused. This is after Kennedy was abused for five years by his junior hockey coach, Graham James. Kennedy has since co-founded the Respect Group, which works hand-in-hand -hand with the Western Hockey League on making sure this never happens again. 
to me, I think that, you know, the Western League, I don't know of another hockey league that's uh, engaging the players the way that the Western Hockey League is engaging the players that um, has provided uh, the structure to be able to create that type of conversation with the groups. Well, I think we take great pride in being a top development league in the world for junior age players, but we have a, a responsibility that extends much further. Jay Janower, Global Sports. On Saturday, uh, Lucas Cavallini got a red card mm -hmm. from the uh, game against Nashville when he stepped on one of the Nashville players' heads. Well, Yikes. kind of on his neck. Whatever the case, it wasn't good. So uh, no decision yet on a suspension, like a longer suspension than the one game he would normally get. That may come tomorrow or Wednesday. All right. Uh, stick around because coming up, Squire has a story about why some people in Port Moody may be a bit at a loss tonight as to what to do for dinner. <laughs> That's a good point. Jordan Armstrong standing by with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, as you mentioned earlier, it appears another cruise ship is delayed leaving Vancouver due to tugboat job action. The Disney Wonder is still docked at Canada Place. We do have a crew there trying to figure out what's happening. Plus, it's not your grandmother's university dining hall. We'll take you inside the brand new Simon Fraser Dining Commons, which will be open 24-7 during the fall and spring terms and feature, among other things, on-demand soft-serve ice cream. These stories are more tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie. I don't know if my grades will be good enough to get me into <laughs> it's SFU. It's open to anyone. You really? Just go check there. it out. Yep. Oh. And apparently you just have to demand it. Okay. It's on-demand. I am in. Okay. Uh, speaking of food. Yes. So, Port Moody. Yeah, I'm After Port you girl. left Port, mm -hmm. Port Moody. Yeah. A restaurant called Rose's Cucina showed up. I know, it was after my time. I don't know why they did that, but they did it. And you should have gone out there. I know. And now it's too late. I know. Because Rose's, Rose's Cucina closed down yesterday, but we, uh, we had to go out there again today and talk to Rosa herself to learn about the recipes, the history, and why she did it. The final days of Rose's Cucina in Port Moody actually looked a lot like the first days when she opened the restaurant 20 years ago. There was a lineup all the way, just like uh, now. That's because Rosa was a local restaurant celebrity, having worked for two decades at the legendary Nick's Spaghetti House on Commercial. Come on in. This is Nick's Spaghetti House on Commercial. Nick's, it, it was like my, part of my... People knew me. I, I met so many nice people there, too. And it was some of the customers at Nick's that suggested to Rosa to open up her own restaurant. I opened the restaurant with $10,000 just to buy food and everything. She also had a secret weapon, her mother, Anna. This is my mom. This is me. We just opened the restaurant here. So what year would that be? 2001. How important was she to this restaurant? Oh, lots. Yeah, she was, yeah. The whole menu is hers pretty much? Yes. Rosa learned to cook watching her mother as a child, just as her daughter, Sonia, learned from her. And that was the only way because none of the family recipes are written down. There's no written? No. no. Of any of the recipes no. in here? No. How many people know the recipe here? Me, Sonia. And your mother? And my mom. So you couldn't put a cookbook out because there's nothing written I down? I could because I know. We don't measure salt and paper. So my daughter says, Mom, put down on the book that you have an Italian hand. A little pinch of this. <laughs> <laughs> Rosa closed the cucina because nobody in the family wanted to take it over 
and a lack of staff was causing stress. It's not the work. I'm working. But the stress, it just was killing me. But there is a possibility Rosa could bring back those recipes and do something else. Like maybe catering or something like that. Yeah, yeah. small, small. You don't need the restaurant anymore. Small. Because when people love your food this much, it's hard to walk away completely. And because I had passion, I love to cook and make you happy. Like, oh, wow, that looks nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're all hungry now. The manicotti. <laughs> was the that your... Oh, the manicotti was off the charts. But she said in the final weeks, some guy from Winnipeg had her ship six lasagnas out. Wow. Yeah, yeah. People flew in from Arizona, Calgary. Lasagna, meatballs, and her Caesar oh, salad yeah. dressing was big. I've heard about her Caesar salad. There you go. All right, well, on that note, <laughs> let's go eat, guys. That's all the time we have. Have a great night, everyone. Dinner time. <laughs>